Bill Barr testifies up in front of the Senate here. Hydroxychloroquine becomes yet another national scandal as people argue over whether or not it's effective. Notre Dame dumps their coverage of the presidential debates. And a massive drug deal takes place, but not the kind you're thinking. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning and welcome to Contemporary. We have so much to get to. So much stupidity yesterday. And I knew it was going to be a packed day by the time I got home from work yesterday. I knew it was going to be an absolutely packed day. And you can see by the tabs at the top there that I'm not lying when I say it. It is going to be an absolutely packed day. Because, yeah, it's just everywhere up there. But we're going to start getting through this as well as we can. And... I fixed the news feed so you actually can see the tabs at the top and everything else that I'm reading as well. So, we're going to get into the news, but before we get into the news, make sure you head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs. We have got the Generational Gap. We have got the Breakdown with Birkenhoff, the Freckles and Brit Show, the R-Rated Conservative, and much, much, much more. Come on over there and check us out. Looks like Stephen Ignoramus is actually maybe on a little bit of a hiatus right now, but because it's been a couple days since he streamed, and he must be you know feeling that itch because he's got to stream again. But we're all over there. Pick up some of our swag. Check us out and help us support some great creators. All right, let's get going down the road here because we got a bunch to get to today. Back up off my prep page. All right, it looks like the Dow had a little bit of problem yesterday, and some of this came on the heels of the new stimulus package, which isn't even on the stack right now, the fact that they revealed that, just because there was so much else going on. So we might talk about that tomorrow yet, the uh, stimulus package that the Senate Republicans threw out. But it looks like that was about the point that it dropped was when they showed that out. But yeah, it's just... Uh, a little bit of a steady day with a little drop. It was a little drop. I mean, we're not even a full percentage point down from the previous close, but still, it was a drop nonetheless. So that's everybody going to start coming in and saying it's not the Obama economy anymore. The Trump economy is kicking back in. But let's see what the investors have to say. From Investors Business Daily to start the day, Dow Jones futures signal modest gains ahead of Fed rate decision. Boeing reports earnings while AMD surges 11%. Dow Jones Futures, or this is from Scott Latonin, by the way. Dow Jones Futures signaled modest gains early Wednesday along with S&P 500 Futures and NASDAQ Futures after Tuesday's stock market sell-off and coronavirus relief debate ahead of the Federal Reserve's interest rate decision. That was a mouthful of a sentence. The current uptrend features four big stock market leaders that are approaching key support levels. Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, Netflix, AMD. Stock soared 11% on uh, earnings ahead of the stock market open. <clears throat> the tech-heavy Nasdaq sold off 1.3% Tuesday, while the S&P 500 fell 0.65%. 
the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 0.8% or 205 points. In the current uptrend for stock market leaders, near key support levels are Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, and Netflix. Apple stock jumped 0.6% ahead of the open Wednesday after a counterpoint research that Apple was the fastest growing smartphone maker in China in quarter two. China. After the stock market closed on Tuesday, AMD, Dexcom, and Dow Jones leader Visa reported their earnings result. AMD stock soared 11%. Dexcom stock rallied more than 1%, while Visa stock fell more than 2% in the pre-market session. Dow Jones giant Boeing reported earnings ahead of the open Wednesday. Analysts see a loss of 293 per share versus a year ago, core loss of 582 a share. Revenue is seen falling 20% year over year to 12.61 billion. Boeing shares gained or were more than 1% higher in pre-market despite missing earnings and sales targets. Early Wednesday, Dow Jones futures rallied 0.2% versus fair value, while S&P 500 futures were up 0.3%. NASDAQ 100 futures gained 0.8% versus fair value. Remember, overnight action in Dow Jones futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. Late Monday, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell released the Republican Coronavirus Relief Plan. The bill would include relief for jobless Americans, another direct payment to individuals of $1,200 or more, paycheck protection program, small business, low funds. Congress will need to bridge the gap between Republicans and Democrats, but negotiations appear tentative. On Tuesday afternoon, House Speaker Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer released a joint statement saying, The Senate GOP proposal is a bad statement on their values, selling out struggling families at kitchen table or at the kitchen table in order to enrich the corporate interests at the boardroom table. It's the same fucking bill that you guys passed earlier on. They're scheduled to meet with the Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, and the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, later on today. My God, it is the same bill that they're passing again with a little bit less on the unemployment insurance to get people back to work. And we're selling out American families to enrich. That's, that is like the default line for any, any bill that the GOP puts forward at this point. That's their default, default line. <clears throat> and most of the time it's just plagiarized from the Democrats. Okay, we're going to move on here and see what MarketWatch has to say about the futures and the stocks. <clears throat> Dow slides 205 points, stocks and near session lows as investors wait coronavirus aid progress. From William Watts, MarketWatch, and Joy Wiltermuth. <clears throat> U.S. stocks indices closed lower Tuesday as investors monitor talks between Republicans and Democrats on a second coronavirus aid package and tuned in to a deluge of second-quarter corporate results. The Dow Jones Industrial Average finished 205.49 points lower, or 0.8%, at 26,379.28, while the Standard & Poor 500 shed 20.97 points, or 0.7%, ending at 32.1844. After briefly trading positive, the NASDAQ Composite lost 134.18, oh, that one took a hit, or 1.3% to close at 10.40209. So it's still on record highs, but it's closing lower. The Dow on Monday finished with a gain of 114.88, or 0.4%, at 26.584.77, while the S&P 500 gained 23.78, 
or 0.74% to close at 3239.41. The Nasdaq Composite advanced 173.09 points to end 10.536.27, a 1.7% gain. So it looks like it was almost a complete opposite between how it ended on Monday and how it ended on Tuesday. So we'll see what's happening there. Stocks ended lower Tuesday as investors migrated toward business that may benefit from economic recovery. After taking a hit from the global pandemic, but gains were not enough to offset sharp selling in a number of high-profile companies. Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings and Regency Center Score, a shopping center real estate investment trust, ended the day higher, as did American Airlines Group, United Airlines Holdings, and Delta Airlines. But stocks that already have done well from the online shopping and work-from-home rules during the pandemic lost ground, including Netflix, Alphabet, investors sold shares of Dow Components, 3M, and McDonald's, which reported second-quarter earnings that fell short of Wall Street expectations and pulled the Dow lower. Still, the shift reinforced that sentiment finally might start to shift towards value sectors and away from large-cap growth stocks that in recent months have been responsible for powering major equity indices higher. One or two days is not a trend, but it's welcome news for those who have owned value uh, entities, said Kent Engelke, chief economic strategist at Capital Securities Management, in an interview. And yes, we are still in negotiations on the Senate Republicans' $1 trillion coronavirus package because they're going to propose the same thing, but it's just Republicans want to enrich the evil, greedy corporate billionaires. So... Look for more of that. We will probably be talking a lot more about that tomorrow. Unless the news blows up just like it did today. So let's keep going on here. We are going to start with the reason that the hearings were delayed before we actually get into the hearings themselves. So we'll start with Fox News and then I get a back-to-back from the Daily Wire. From Fox News, Nadler involved in a car accident but unhurt bar hearing delayed from Gillian Turner and Ron Blitzer. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Gerald Nadler was involved in a car accident Tuesday morning on his way to Washington, but was not injured, a Nadler spokesman said, in turn delaying a highly anticipated hearing with Attorney General Bill Barr. And by hearing, I mean a campaign commercial for Democrats, because that's all that shit was. The accident, which involved Nadler's car and another vehicle, took place while the congressman was on his way to the hearing, Nadler's spokesperson said. Nadler was not driving at the time, the spokesperson noted. While he was not hurt, the accident will delay the start of the planned hearing that Nadler is set to preside over. It was originally scheduled for 10 a.m. Eastern Time, but is expected to be delayed about 45 minutes. Fox News is told Barr is ready to go on offense once the hearing actually begins. And I missed the first couple hours of that, so I didn't see everything off of that, but once I actually tuned in and started seeing it go, yeah, it was a shit show. And God bless Jim Jordan for what he did and every chance that he took to actually try and get Barr to talk and answer the questions. Fox News has told Barr, oh, I read that one already. According to prepared remarks obtained by Fox News on Monday night, Barr plans to use his first ever appearance before the House Judiciary Committee to condemn the grave abuses in the bogus Russiagate scandal, while also defending law enforcement officers in no uncertain terms amid unrest in American cities. The Attorney General's unusually aggressive posture will be matched by similarly full-throated arguments from GOP lawmakers on the panel, including Ranking Member Representative Jim Jordan, 
Fox News is told GOP lawmakers plan to highlight former Attorney General Eric Holder's remark that he was then-President Barack Obama's wingman. Noting their close relationship to preempt accusations that bars President Trump's yes-man, a strategy document from the GOP side also suggests they will defend the Roger Stone commutation and recent controversial removal of a U.S. attorney. So this is this hasn't been updated since the whole hearing happened. So this was what Fox News was anticipating before all of this started out. And poor Nadler's car. For the fact that it's got to carry him around and then the fact that it got into an accident on top of that. There's got to be some sort of process in place for all that because I've seen how people drive on the East Coast and especially as you get further and further north. It didn't seem as bad in Florida, I noticed. But as you go further and further, further north, it does definitely get just a little bit uh, a little bit more cagey and a little bit more compact. So I'm surprised they haven't had to deal with this before. But that's what happened with that. Let's keep going on down the road here. I'm going to save that one for later on. From the Daily Wire, first from Ryan Saavedra, Barr shreds Democrats during hostile questioning. Democrats won't condemn mob violence. Attack on federal courts, from Ryan Saavedra. Attorney General William Barr was repeatedly berated during his hearing in front of the Democrat-controlled House Judiciary Committee on Tuesday, with Democratic members of the committee repeatedly cutting him off and not allowing him to answer questions. The attacks on Barr were so hostile, even CNN made a note of it, writing that the Democrats were out for blood. Democrats repeatedly cut off Barr's responses, accused him of being wrong or lying, and made clear that they weren't interested in the explanations he was offering, CNN reported. Barr wasn't allowed extra time at the end of each lawmaker's five minutes to respond to questions that witnesses typically receive, forcing Republicans to use their time to let Barr push back in the Democratic accusations. During the hearing, Barr specifically called out the Democrat Party for widely failing to condemn violent extremists, attacking federal courthouse in Portland amid a series of riots that have lasted over 60 consecutive days. What makes me concerned for the country is that this is the first time in my memory the leaders of one of the great two political parties, the Democratic Party, are not coming out to condemning mob violence against attack on federal courts, Barr said. Why can't we just say violence against federal courts has to stop? Could we hear something like that? Representative Jamie Raskin sought to use words from progressive religious figures to attack Barr over the administration, using law enforcement to clear out violent rioters from a church across the street from the White House. Are you aware, the director of the church, that the Episcopal Archbishop of Washington and the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church nationally, along with the Catholic Bishop of the Archdiocese of Washington, all denounced the police assault on the civil rights and civil liberties of the people, Raskin snapped. Did they do that before or after the fire was put out? Barr asked, referencing a fire that was set at the church during the riots that law enforcement said was intentionally set. Barr previously reported during an interview with CBS News that the so-called peaceful protests in Lafayette Park were not peaceful and said, that's one of the big lies the media seems to be perpetuating at this moment. The officers were pummeled with bricks. Crowbars were used to pry up the pavers at the park and they were hurled at police. There were fires set in not only St. John's Church, but a historical building at Lafayette was burned down, Barr said during an interview. Here's what the media is missing. This is not an operation to respond to that particular crowd. It was an operation to move the perimeter one block. 
So, yeah, that was part of what we saw up there, and that was one of the few chances that Barr actually had the chance to respond to all of this here. But because we are pressed on time, we're going to keep moving along here and see the other one that I had off the back to the back. And then I've actually got some video to show you guys as well. But we'll see what they have to say. Watch Democrat representative cuts off A.G. Barr when he notes his children are cancer survivors from Hank Berrien. On Tuesday, Attorney General William Barr was questioned at a congressional hearing by Democrat Representative Lucy McBath of Georgia, who attacked him for supporting President Trump's position against the Affordable Care Act and used her own status as a breast cancer survivor to grandstand to her constituency and her radical left people. I mean, <clears throat> I'm sorry, that's not what it says, to buttress her case. When Barr responded that he had two children of his own who are cancer survivors, McBath cut him off, iterating that his position was playing politics. Yeah, that was a pretty long uh, query. I'm not going to read the whole thing here. I'm going to skip over that, and that'll be in the Discord for you guys to read at a later date. The Attorney General responded by noting he has two children who are cancer survivors. I have two children who are cancer survivors, so I feel very strongly about this issue as a matter of policy, said Barr. And I believe that the President's made clear that he will ensure... But before Barr could finish his response, McBath interjected, Sir, please answer my question. Will you stop playing politics with Americans' health care in the middle of a pandemic? I'm not playing politics, said Barr. I'm a lawyer. I'm not in charge of health care policy. Will you reverse your course, said McBath, shouting over him. Will you reverse your course and make sure that millions of Americans like me that depend on health care and treatment to stay alive? Will you reverse your course to make sure that we have the ability to live in this country freely with quality health care? People will have the health care protection. It will be accomplished either if I lose, if the government loses the case, Barr replied calmly. I take this as a no, McBath said before he could finish. And if the Supreme Court strikes it down, Barr continued, I take this as a no. McBath repeated. Based on history, said Barr, I'd like to go on, said McBath. So, yeah, that's... And I am the first person to say the government needs to get out of health care because they absolutely do. So, I'm definitely, on, I can't believe I'm about to say I'm on Barr's side for this one, but I'm definitely on Barr's side for this. The government just needs to be out of health care. Get, just get as far away from it as you can. But, yeah, just, if you're going to have a hearing for somebody, then let them talk. Plain and simple. There's a reason that you called them. No, that, there was a reason that we were told that they were having the Attorney General come up in front of there, but it wasn't the reason that we were told. They didn't want to hear the Attorney General's thing. They just wanted to sit there and scream at him for several hours throughout the day and not let him talk about anything. That was one of the most disgusting displays of humanity that I've ever seen come out of the government. And I don't care for the government. I've seen some disgusting displays of humanity come out of the government, but this was one of the worst. So that's what I have on that. We'll save this one here for Monday. But let's uh, have a look here at what's going on with this. Congressman Primala Jayapal hits Trump administration on treatment of protesters. So this is from CBS News, but I wanted to come up here and let you guys have a listen to this one here. So let's turn your ears on and let's play the video.
On June 1st, there were protests against the murder of George Floyd and police brutality in Lafayette Park. Let us not be distracted by you or my GOP colleagues as to what these powerful and massive protests were actually about. They were about the persistent killing of black bodies by law enforcement. And finally, finally, an awakening in America of the conscience of our country. And yet your response, Mr. Barr, was to direct federal officers to close in on the protesters and to use shields offensively as weapons, tear gas, pepper balls, irritants, explosive devices, batons, and horses to clear the area just so the president could get a photo op. So I do want to ask you, do you think that your response, do you think the response at Lafayette Square to tear gas, pepper spray, and beat and protesters and injure American citizens who were just simply uh, exercising their First Amendment rights was appropriate? Well, first, it's my understanding that no tear gas was used on Monday, June 1st. Mr. Barr, that is a semantic distinction that has been proven false by many fact checkers. How is it semantic? Do you think? How is it semantic? Tear gas is a particular compound. You talked about chemical irritants, and it has been proven false by reports. So just answer the question. Do you well, think that think it was appropriate well. at Lafayette Park to pepper spray tear gas and beat protesters and injure American citizens? Well, I don't accept your characterization of what happened, but as I explained, the effort there was Mr. Barr, I just asked for a yes or no. So let me just tell you, I'm starting to lose my temper. According to sworn testimony before the House Natural Resources Committee by Army National Guard Officer Adam DeMarco, who was there, this was, quote, an unprovoked escalation and excessive use of force against peaceful protesters. Well, I don't Numerous remember, media I don't remember reports DeMarco as being involved this is in my any of the decision-making. Sir, sir. The president told governors on a telephone call that the way to deal with the protesters of police brutality and systemic racism like in Lafayette Square is that, quote, you have to get much tougher. You have to dominate. If you don't dominate, you're wasting your time. These are terrorists. And he also talked about you on that call, sir. Here's what he said. He said, the attorney general is here, Bill Barr, and we will activate Bill Barr and activate him strongly. Do you remember that call, Mr. Barr? Yes, I do. But he wasn't talking about protesters. He was talking Mr. about Barr, rioters. Mr. Barr, apparently the president believes that you can be activated to implement the president's agenda and dominate American people exercising First Amendment rights if they're protesting against him. But let's look at how you respond when the protesters are supporters of the president, on two separate occasions, after President Trump tweeted, liberate Michigan, to subvert stay-home orders to protect the public health of people in Michigan, protesters swarmed the Michigan Capitol carrying guns, some with swastikas, Confederate flags, and one even with a dark-haired doll with a noose around its neck. Are you aware that these protesters called for the governor to be lynched, shot, and beheaded? No. You're not aware of that? I was not aware of that. Major protests in Michigan. You're the attorney general. 
and you didn't know that the protesters called for the governor to be lynched, shot, and beheaded. So well, obviously you couldn't be concerned about that. Well, there are a lot you, of protests around the United States, and uh, on June Attorney 1st, General I was Barr, worried about the District of Columbia, which is federal. protests in certain parts of the country. You're very aware of those, but when protesters with guns and swastikas and Confederate flags, excuse me, Mr. Barr, this is government. my time, and I control it. You are aware of certain kinds of protesters, but in Michigan, when protesters carry guns and Confederate flags... All right, so that was actually kind of where I wanted to go with that. And we're not going to finish with the full six-minute video, but there are a lot of things that are going along with this as well. I just, I, it was so entertaining for me. This is my time and I control it. This is a child. This is an unhinged child that has no business being up here on this stage on this level of stage and being able to talk about this i will probably play more of this on monday i think i'm going to take some uh, time and cut this out so we can see more towards the end of this but there are a couple differences and i know that she's coming up to try and bring michigan into this because it was a peaceful protest and nobody did anything to that and they're doing all this to the peaceful protesters outside of dc oh my god so we have violent rioters in D.C. and in Portland that are both coming up and hiding behind peaceful protesters so they can run up and say, oh, the police are cracking down on these peaceful protesters. We've got to, and we've got more of that that we're going to talk about later on in this entire the rest of the show. But two of the big differences that were happening here between what happened in Michigan and what happened in D.C. and in Portland was the fact that first, what's happening in Portland right now is... Federal police trying to defend federal property. It's the same thing when it was in D.C. They were trying to move the perimeter around the White House out a block, which meant moving people. And once again, this is all things that are happening on federal property. All of Washington, D.C. is considered a federal district, so that is on the federal government to police and take care of. What was happening in Michigan was happening on state property outside of the U.S. Department of Justice's jurisdiction. Now, they can step in if they are asked for help from the state government of Michigan. And the biggest difference between the two is that, while, yes, it was stupid for the Michigan protesters to go up and do it the way that they did, and I actually don't really go along with what they did. I don't care for the way that they did it. But nobody got hurt. In the Michigan protests, nothing got blown up, nothing got burned. There was probably a little bit of property damage from the fact that so many people were standing in the building at the same time, but nobody got hurt from the Michigan protest. And yet in all the other protests, people are getting beaten in the streets by the protesters and rioters. Buildings are burning down. They're setting off fireworks at federal agents. And people are just in general being assholes about it so there's a lot of difference between the two of these it's it's hilarious that she tries to bring up the situation where nobody got hurt and i do believe and i would have to go back and double check and verify about the swastika sign and i think the lynching uh demonstration as well in the michigan case were both plants they were both determined to be plants of people from outside that were trying to discredit the organization and protest i cannot confirm that but the last i knew both of those instances were the confederate flag wasn't but both of the other instances were plants from outside left-wing groups that were trying to discredit but yeah 
that's what we're seeing out of this here. There's just major difference between all the rest of this. All right. A little bit more protest news here. We're going to read now from NBC News. Video shows New York police loading a person into unmarked minivan. From Dennis Romero. New York City police officers in khaki shorts and dark t-shirts stuffed a suspect into an unmarked minivan during an arrest captured on video Tuesday, raising concerns about the tactics similar to those attributed to federal agents during demonstrations in Portland, Oregon this month. The New York Police Department quickly responded to questions about the detention which occurred during a protest in Manhattan, saying that no federal authorities were involved and that using unmarked vehicles for that type of operation was customary. The warrant squad is not going to use marked vehicle to arrest individual, Lieutenant John Grimple said. He said his squad used unmarked vehicles in detaining people for decades. Video of the incident was shared on social media. It's unclear what happened prior to the video being recorded. Uniformed NYPD officers on bicycles could also be seen in the video assisting the arresting officers with crowd control. The target, who has not yet been identified, was wanted for damaging police cameras during five separate criminal incidents in and around City Hall Park, Sergeant Mary Francis O'Donnell said in the email. The arresting officers were assaulted with rocks and bottles. Critics on social media concerns and conflated the situation with the detention of a person of interest in Portland this month by federal agents who used a minivan. This is horrible or horrifying and indefensible, the New York Civil Liberties Union said on Twitter. We're looking into the incident that happened tonight, but one thing is for certain, violently forcing protesters into an unmarked van are the actions of a police force that think that they can act with impunity. We won't allow this in our city. U.S. Customs and Border Protection said in a statement on July 17th that its agents were responsible for detaining a man who was wanted for questioning in con uh, connection with assaults against federal agents or destruction of federal property. It said the federal forces moved quickly because demonstrators were getting close. So, yeah, no, the New York City Police Department is doing the same thing at this point, and all of Twitter is going nuts about it. I saw this right away this morning. And, I mean, if that's what they need to do to go out and try and keep the peace that's between them and their citizens, as we saw in Portland, we are only seeing people being questioned and detained for attacking federal property. And they're just being released right away, too, as long as there's nothing else. They get the question in and turn these guys out right away. I know Jen the Libertarian is pretty pissed about what was happening over in Portland on the federal government side, but she hates the federal government, so that's to be expected. I do too, but I still understand them defending their own property. And like I said before, if they don't want to defend, if the people don't want the federal government to defend federal property, then make that amendment and get rid of federal property entirely because that's the only thing that you can do to keep them from defending it. A little bit of a shorty here. All right, let's keep going. From CNN, what I thought was going to be the top story yesterday, but we had so much else to get buried with it over the bar, uh, bar hearings. Chain smokers concert in the Hamptons under investigation after video shows packed crowds. From Lori Lai and Holly Silverman. New York authorities are investigating a drive-in concert at the Hamptons this weekend that appeared to violate the state's social distancing guidelines. The Safe and Sound Benefit concert took place in Southampton on Saturday, according to Jack Stern, a spokesman for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Governor Cuomo tweeted Monday that he was appalled by videos from the concert that show egregious social distancing violations and 
that the state has no tolerance for the illegal and reckless endangerment of the public health. The event page advertised the concert, headlined by the Chainsmokers, as a socially distanced drive-in benefit concert that would allow 600 vehicles. New York State Health Commissioner Dr. Howard Zucker sent a letter on Monday inquiring about the concert to Southampton Supervisor Jay Schneiderman. The commissioner noted that New York is still in a declared state of emergency due to the COVID-19 pandemic and that several executive orders and health regulations requiring social distancing have been issued since March. All non-essential gatherings of more than 50 people are currently banned in the state with a maximum fine of $1,000 for violating social distancing protocol. In a letter to the town supervisor, Zucker said he was greatly disturbed by the reports of thousands of people in close proximity out of their vehicles, a VIP area, where there was no pretense of a vehicle and generally not adhering to social distancing guidelines. I'm at a loss to how the town of Southampton could have issued a permit for such event. How they believed it was legal and not an obvious public health threat, Zucker wrote. Zucker demanded the letter or in the letter that Schneiderman respond within 24 hours as to whether the town issued a permit for the concert, under what conditions a permit was issued, and why the concert was allowed to continue when it became clear violations were rampant. Because you don't actually have a First Amendment right to gather and assemble peacefully. You only have the First Amendment right to gather and riot against the federal government, apparently. And that's what these people should have said. And I saw this floating around social media yesterday as well. These people should have just come up and said, Oh, no, we're, we're not actually attending a concert. We're, see, we're actually protesting. Hey, we hate the evil orange man. We're actually protesting. I don't know why the Democrats want to lose elections so badly right now, but they're going after their own constituents and investigating them for gathering. While the Republicans have the message, hey, you can be free to go and do whatever you want this election cycle. And of course, libertarians have the message of, you can be free whenever you want to be free, and the government has no right to tell you any differently. I don't know why they are so eager to uh, lose elections, but it really seems like they want to lose this election so badly. Because this is not the actions of a political party that wants to win. So, that's what we saw out of this here. I'm going to save this one. I'm saving a lot of these for Monday. And we will move on. From Newsweek, the key to defeating COVID-19 already exists. We need to start using it. Opinion piece. This is an opinion piece, keep in mind. From Harvey A. Rich, MD, PhD, over at Newsweek. As a professor of epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health, I have authored over 300 peer-reviewed publications and currently hold senior positions on the editorial boards of several leading journalists, or journals rather. I usually, or I'm usually accustomed to advocating for positions within the uh, mainstream of medicine, so have been flummoxed to find that in the midst of a crisis, I'm fighting for a treatment that the data fully support, but which, for reasons having nothing to do with a correct understanding of the science, has been pushed to the sidelines. As a result, tens of thousands of patients with COVID-19 are dying unnecessarily. Fortunately, the situation can be reversed easily and quickly. I am referring, of course, to the medication hydroxychloroquine. 
when this inexpensive oral medication is given at a very early in the course of illness before the virus has had time to multiply beyond control, it is shown to be highly effective, especially when given in combination with the antibiotics azithromycin or doxycycline and the nutritional supplement zinc. On May 27th, I published an article in the American Journal of Epidemiology entitled Early Outpatient Treatment of uh, Symptomatic High-Risk COVID-19 Patients that should be ramped up immediately as a key to the pandemic crisis. That article, published in the world's leading epidemiology journal, analyzed five studies demonstrating clear-cut and significant benefits to treated patients, plus other very large studies that showed the medication's safety. Physicians who have been using these medications in the face of widespread skepticism have been truly heroic. They've done what the science shows is best for the patients, often at great personal risk. I myself know two doctors who have saved the lives of hundreds of patients with these medications, but are now fighting state medical boards to save their licenses and reputations. The cases against them are completely without scientific merit. Since the publication of the May 27th article, seven more studies have demonstrated similar benefit. In a lengthy follow-up letter I also published by AGE, I discussed the seven studies and renew my call for the immediate, or immediate early use of hydroxychloroquine in high-risk patients. These seven studies include an additional 400 high-risk patients treated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko with zero deaths, four studies totaling almost 500 high-risk patients treated in nursing homes and clinics across the U.S. with no deaths, a controlled trial of more than 700 high-risk patients in Brazil with significantly reduced risk of hospitalizations and two deaths among 334 patients treated with hydroxychloroquine. So there are studies out here that show that this is effective, but it's politicized, and I do believe that there is a political bent to letting these people die, essentially. We have the hydroxychloroquine out there. We have studies, peer-reviewed studies, that actually support its use. And furthermore, no government should be able to tell you what it is that you can and cannot put in your body. That's Schedule 1 is bullshit. And so is the FDA at this point, because they're just being used as a political arm. But everybody's just waiting for that vaccine and the cure. We can't open up the economy until we have the vaccine and the cure. The vaccine and the cure. The vaccine and the cure. Make sure you get your vaccine and your cure. So, that's what we're seeing off of this here. We're going to keep moving on here. The FDA actually weighs in on this. Coronavirus COVID-19 update. FDA revokes emergency use authorization for chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine for immediately, uh, immediate release. Today, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration revoked the emergency use authorization that allowed for chloroquine phosphate and hydroxychloroquine sulfate donated to the strategic national stockpile to be used to treat certain hospitaliz uh, hospitalized patients with COVID-19 when a clinical trial was unavailable or participation in a clinical trial was not feasible. The agency determined the legal criteria for issuing an EUA are no longer met based on its ongoing analysis of the EUA and emerging scientific data. The FDA determined that chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine are unlikely to be effective in treating COVID-19 for authorized uses in the EUA. Additionally, in the light of ongoing serious cardiac adverse events and other potential serious side effects, the known and potential benefits of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine no longer outweigh the known and potential risks of authorized use. This is the statutory standard for issuance of an EUA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, within the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, originally requested the EUA covering chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, and the FDA granted the EUA on March 28, 2020. 
based on the scientific data at the time. Today, in consultation with the FDA, BARDA sent a letter to the FDA requesting revocation of the EUA based up on up-to-date science and data. So there's the official statement from the government. Thou shalt not use hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19 patients because it was doing too well and we need people to be suffering. So they vote for Joe Biden. That is in the Discord there. So if you guys want to go and take a look at that, that is, uh, that's pretty heavy stuff right there. Let's keep going along here though. Twitter deletes video promoted by Trump on hydroxychloroquine use for the coronavirus from Fox News uh, over with Edmund DeMarche. Twitter removed a video that was promoted on President Trump's account late Monday showing what appeared to be doctors in Washington, praising the benefits of using hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19 patients. The video, which was widely shared on social media, appeared to include about a dozen doctors standing in front of the Supreme Court building in Washington. It was unclear when the video was shot. A Twitter representative told CNN that the action was taken in line with their coronavirus misinformation policy. One of the doctors who was identified in reports as Dr. Stella Emanuel claimed that she treated more than 350 coronavirus patients, some with diabetes and high blood pressure, and not a single one died after being administrated, or administered rather, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, and zithromax. She claimed that she even administers the drug in prophylactic measures. The New York Times pointed to a recent studies that have questioned the effectiveness of the treatment called the video the most recent example of misinformation that has spread the, uh, concerning the virus. Breitbart reported that a group called America's Frontline Doctors held a press conference that was organized and sponsored by Tea Party Patriots. This event including, uh, included the doctors and an appearance by Representative Ralph Norman of South Carolina, the report said. The video makes spectacular claims about the treatment that essentially calls it all but a cure. The Centers for Disease Control say there's no specific antiviral treatment for, uh, recommended for COVID-19. The Breitbart report states the video was later removed by social media platforms. Twitter did not immediately respond to an inquiry from Fox News, and a spokesman from Facebook told Breitbart that the video was removed because it shared false information about cures and treatments from COVID-19. So yeah, they're cracking down on information in a hurry. They don't want you to know. They just want you to believe that CNN is telling you that if you take hydroxychloroquine, you will die immediately and instantly a painful and horrifying death because the evil orange man uh, promotes it. An evil orange man is bad. Let's keep going here. I got another video for you. So... The caption on this video is this woman literally looks into these children's eyes, uh, children's eyes and said, I hope you all die. I'm at a loss for words. So this must be, of course, some sort of mask thing. Spoiler alert, I haven't watched this video yet. I wanted to be surprised just like you guys. I need to turn the audio on for you. You're not supposed to wear them. That's not true. Yes, it is. No, yes, not. it is. No, Human school requires children under the age of 10 not to wear them. So why would I make them wear them? Why? You're a bone ridiculous. You take care of yourself. Fine. You're going to kill me. It's such a great thing to say to someone. I wear a mask. 
for a second here because it does appear that this woman here that is out here telling saying I hope you all die is the only person in the store wearing the mask see no mask there appears to be no mask. that appears to be a baby so that's there no mask there this woman is the only one in this Walmart store that appears to be wearing a mask now I was to the understanding Walmart has a full corporate wide mask policy I don't know. I don't shop there, but I hope you all die. Is what that woman said to children. To children. I have no faith in humanity anymore. All right. Let's keep going. Turn your audio off. Get the live chat up. All right, from the Star Tribune. Really? You didn't make me do the ad block thing yesterday. All right, we'll try this one again tomorrow. I'll archive that, we'll try that one again tomorrow. All right, from the Daily Wire then instead, AOC. Doesn't make sense that agencies that protect the US are part of the Department of Homeland Security. Yes, you read that right. Agencies that protect the U.S. are part of the Department of Homeland Security. From the Daily Wire News, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez stated during an Instagram Live video on Tuesday that it doesn't make sense that federal agencies are charged with protecting the American homeland that or would be structured under the Department of Homeland Security. And, by the way, ICE as an agency as a structure should not exist, Ocasio-Cortez said. DHS is, as an agency, the way it is currently organized, someone tell me why that makes sense. Why FEMA and CBP and ICE and the Coast Guard should all be part of the same agency. It doesn't make sense. And, in fact, it's incredibly dangerous when it's structured that way. And so what's happening is that um, billions and billions of dollars have gone to ICE and CBP and as we're talking about police uprisings in this country, I think it's really important that people understand, do you know what is now the largest law enforcement organization in the United States of America? Ocasio-Cortez continued. It's CBP. It's Customs and Border Control. It's the largest law enforcement agency in the country. CBP does not stand for Customs and Border Patrol. It stands for Customs and Border Protection. The Border Patrol is a part of the Customs and Border Protection. The four agencies that Ocasio-Cortez claimed should not be organized together, FEMA, CBP, ICE, and the U.S. Coast Guard, all provide critical support for the American homeland. FEMA responds to major disasters. CBP protects the U.S. borders and screens those entering the country. ICE removes people who are here illegally in the U.S. And the Coast Guard protects America's shores. During her live stream, Ocasio-Cortez also lamented that illegal aliens have not received extended unemployment because they're illegally in the U.S. No shit, Sherlock! And what NYSYLC is doing is they're fundraising for an emergency fund um, to help some of those, to help some of our undocumented brothers and sisters because out because some of the big issues that we have in our country is the amount of race 
Oh, I have ice cream, by the way. But um, the amount of xenophobia that we're seeing, especially in this administration, there's so much language that they're disrespecting undocumented people when the fact of the matter is they're the ones who, these are the families and the individuals that are making sure we're fed, Ocasio-Cortez. They're often taking care of our children. Ocasio-Cortez then suggested that breaking federal immigration laws was not wrong, saying, they're often making sure that our workplaces and our homes are sanitary so we cannot, that's so fucking racist. Holy shit. So we cannot go on with kind of these xenophobic narratives that undocumented people are somehow wrong or just bad human beings, when the fact of the matter is the scaffolding of American life is so much the scaffolding of American life is built upon the labor of the undocumented people. Wow. Holy shit, that's racist. Oh my God, that's racist. That is like David Duke level racist. The only people that'll clean toilets are Mexican immigrants. Holy shit. Wow. Wow. I can't believe that just happened. Wow. Oh my God. And Cortez is just basically admitting in this article that she wants to have a permanent slave class to come out here and babysit your kids and clean your toilets. People who will never be able or who will never apply for citizenship. So they always have to live in fear of the government and fear of being deported when they do something wrong. No. Get them on that path to citizenship so they never have to worry again if they want to be here. If you really are that strongly for it. And the illegal ones, I I say that they have to try. But they have to try starting from the other side of the border. I'm okay with them going over there. Waiting over to Mexico as they go out and try to come back over. The right way, the legal way. If they haven't done anything else wrong, I have no problem sending them back up over the border. And say, hey, try again. Try to do it legally. But my god... That is racist beyond racism. All right, let's keep going here. Moving into politics. Notre Dame withdraws from hosting first Trump-Biden debate from Paul Steinhaus over the New York Post. The commission that holds the quadrennial presidential debate says the first of the three scheduled showdowns this fall between Trump and former uh, Vice President Biden is being moved from Indiana to Ohio after Notre Dame withdrew as a host. The Commission on Presidential Debates announced Monday that the September 29th debate will now be co-hosted by Case Western Reserve University and Cleveland Clinic and held at the Health Education Campus in Cleveland, Ohio. The move came after Notre Dame University in South Bend, Indiana, withdrew as the host of the first presidential general election debate. Notre Dame withdrew due to the health concerns in holding a presidential debate and over large in-person gatherings amid coronavirus pandemic, the school said. After conferring with public health officials, the school's president, Reverend John Jenkins, made what he called this difficult decision because the necessary health precautions would have greatly diminished the educational value of hosting the debate in our campus. The debate will be the second CPD-sponsored debate hosted by Case Western Reserve University. In 04, the school was the site of the vice presidential showdown between Cheney and Edwards. 
The commission also pointed out that the Cleveland Clinic is serving at the, or as the CPD's health and security advisor for all four debates this autumn. Last month, the commission announced that the second presidential debate scheduled for October 15th will be held in Miami, Florida at the Adrian Arsht Center for the Performing Arts of Miami-Dade County. The CPD made the move after the original host, the University of Michigan, withdrew due to health concerns amid the pandemic. The final Biden-Trump encounter is still scheduled to be hosted by Belmont in Nashville. On October 22nd, the vice presidential debate is scheduled for October 7th at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. So you got to wonder here because this is two in a row, Notre Dame and uh, University of Michigan that said, no, we will not hold the presidential debate because of concerns of the coronavirus. Is this going to be how Biden gets out of the debates? How he goes without actually getting absolutely fucking pummeled by Trump? Because I know they're going to be looking for an out for this. I can't believe that they're going to actually let him sit back and debate the Donald. I can't believe that's going to happen. But it's tradition right now. There's no law that says it has to happen, but it is tradition. And we do want to hear what both men have to say. Isn't it funny that, for the most part, the Democratic debates were actually done right before the pandemic started? Like, the last one between Biden and Bernie. And there were actually supposed to be three more after that, but the last one between Biden and Bernie popped up right as the pandemic was coming into play. Isn't it funny how that works? But yeah, I do think that this is going to be how uh, Vice President Biden gets out of doing the debates. And I bet you we see a lot more of this as we go along. All right, I've got one here that's archived from the New York Times, a former newspaper. Susan Rice wants to run for office, but will her first campaign be for VP? The former National Security Advisor is on the shortlist to be Joe Biden's running mate. She has never been elected to public office, but in 2018, she took a close look at running for the Senate and her own political strengths and vulnerabilities. From Alexander Burns, on an autumn Friday, not long before the 2018 elections, esteemed Susan E. Rice was traveling through the Phoenix airport and watching from afar as Justice Brett M. Kavanaugh moved steadily towards confirmation. The convulsive Senate battle had reached a climax, and for Miss Rice's party, an unhappy one, Senator Susan Collins, the main Republican, had just announced her support for Justice Kavanaugh, effectively sealing his victory. When a former White House colleague tweeted plaintively, asking who might take down Miss Collins in the 2020 election, Miss Rice fired off a two-letter reply, Me. The message excited Miss Rice's followers, startled her friends, and puzzled Democratic Party leaders, most of whom were surprised to learn the former National Security Advisor had any interest in electoral politics. Party strategists were already in the process of recruiting a challenger for Ms. Collins, and Ms. Rice had not been on the radar as an option. Though she had family roots in Maine, she did not even live in the state. Carpetbagger. In public, Ms. Rice did little to clarify her intentions. She made no overtures to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. When Ms. Rice announced several months later she had decided against running for her family reasons, most Democrats concluded she had never given it real consideration. But they were wrong. Before ruling out the race, the esteemed Ms. Rice had quietly explored the idea of battling Ms. Collins for weeks seeking advice from seasoned politicians in Maine, friendly operatives in Washington, and top advisors to former President 
esteemed Barack Obama the saint, including Valerie Jarrett and the pollster Joel Benenson within her political circle. The sincerity of her interest was clear. What a fucking puff piece, my God. So, Susan Rice might be on the shortlist for the VP pick because pandering reasons, apparently. Oh, I can't even. I can't believe I archived it. Well, I didn't archive it. It was already saved, but I pulled up the archive for it. So, yes, that was a long and drawn-out way to say that I think they're going to pick Susan Rice off of this. All right, let's keep going here from CNN. Twitter temporarily restricts Donald Trump, uh, Trump Jr.'s account after he posts a video claiming masks are unnecessary. From Donnie O'Sullivan. Twitter restricted Donald Trump Jr.'s ability to tweet. Excuse me. After he posted a video featuring a doctor making false claims about the coronavirus cures and stating that people don't need masks to prevent the virus from spreading. A Twitter spokesperson said on Tuesday, Some of the account's functionality, including the ability to tweet, will be limited for 12 hours, the spokesperson said. The video, which was published by right-wing media outlet Breitbart News and went viral online on Monday, featured a group of doctors making false and dubious claims related to coronavirus, including that masks are unnecessary. Well, Donnie O'Sullivan, you're a journalist, and you don't get to make that determination. Twitter Facebook and YouTube removed the video after it started to go viral, after people started to see the truth, perhaps. President Trump also retweeted multiple versions of the video on Twitter, but he did not upload a version of the video to the site his son did, which is why Twitter only took action against Trump Jr.'s account, the company spokesperson said. Andy Sarabin, Trump Jr.'s spokesperson, said or had tweeted earlier that Twitter had suspended the president's son's account. Twitter said in a statement that the account had not been permanently suspended. Twitter has asked the president's son to delete the tweet with a video. The company has also removed it from public view. So, yeah, this is this is an information mindfuck. They are going to come out here and tell you what it is that you are allowed to believe. Yeah, I like what Dabba over, over there said, since when is Twitter a doctor? They're not, and neither is the journalist that wrote this. But, of course, they both had to get their editorial process in there and say, oh, well, this was wrong. Because we said it was wrong. And anybody who says that we're wrong needs to get suspended from the platform. Quick hitter there. Let's keep going down the road. Uh, from WROC 8 News out of Rochester, Kodak lands $765 million federal loan to develop prescription drug ingredients aims to add 300 jobs in Rochester. Bringing those jobs home, folks. After the supply chain was interrupted, that's a good thing. Let's see what they have to say here. A big development for the former film powerhouse in Rochester. Eastman Kodak Company officials, along with Washington, D.C. leaders, announced an agreement for a $765 million federal loan to support the launch of Kodak Pharmaceuticals, a new arm of the company that poses to transform the business into an industrial leader in prescription drug manufacturing. This is going to be one of the greatest second acts of American industrial history, said Dr. Navarro, assistant to the president and director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy at the White House. 
This project is the first to use new authority delegated by President Donald Trump's recent executive order that enabled the United States International Development Finance Corporation and the United States Department of Defense to collaborate on domestic response efforts to COVID-19 under the Defense Production Act. Today, we are bringing together the significant resources and expertise of the private sector and the U.S. government, said DFC CEO Adam Bowler. We're pleased to support Kodak in this bold new venture, our collaboration with this iconic American company will promote health and safety at home and around the world. Officials say this move will add 360 direct jobs for the company, plus an additional 1,200 indirectly, including some 300 here in Rochester, where the company was founded by George Eastman in the late 1880s. Kodak is proud to be part of the strengthening of America's self-sufficiency in producing the key pharmaceutical ingredients we need to keep our citizens safe. The Kodak executive chairman Jim, or said Kodak executive chairman Jim Continenza, by leveraging our vast infrastructure, deep expertise in chemicals manufacturing and heritage of innovation and quality, Kodak will play a critical role in the return of the reliable American pharmaceutical supply chain. So it appears that this is going to be they're going to be producing hydroxychloroquine specifically at first, but once these people are up and trained in how to make other pharmaceuticals, these are jobs that are going to continue. We saw the supply chain interrupted. That's something that most people have forgotten by this point, but China said no more ventilators, no more masks. That's why Ford, GM, and Chrysler all jumped up and said, we're going to start making these things. And so did Musk and a countless number of other U.S. companies came up and we'll start making masks. Absolutely, we'll start making masks because globalism is failing at this point. And I don't understand why people are still trying to globalize at this point. So bringing the supply chain back to the U.S. where we can keep it for ourselves or decide who we sell it to or otherwise instead of having to wait for it to come halfway around the world from China and putting jobs in China is going to be a good thing. It's going to put people to work. It's going to put tax revenue back in. Where the government could, <clears throat> I can't say that with a straight face, try and start getting out of debt. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say that one with a straight face. But yes, bringing supply back into uh, this country is going to be a good thing, absolutely. Alright, let's keep going. I'm going to say that one for Monday too. That's a good one. I should have put that as things I'm thankful for today, which I am actually completely unprepared for. And you guys are going to see me think of something up off the fly later on. HuffPo, the first time they've been used as a source on this uh, particular program. Democrats reject marijuana legalization and the party platform from Amanda Turkel. Democratic National Committee delegates voted 105 to 60 against including marijuana legalization in the party platform on Monday. The draft version of the platform supports decriminalizing marijuana use and legalizing medical marijuana, adding that it should be left up to the states to make their own decisions about recreational use. That's the smartest thing I've heard come out of the DNC platform in a decade and a half. The platform was unlikely to ever endorse full legalization since Joe Biden, the presumptive nominee, does not back the policy. He supports federal decriminalization, which would take away the incarceration for possession. But Dennis Obdusky, a delegate who introduced the legalization amendment during the meeting of the DNC's platform committee, noted that the current document is a step back from the 2016 platform, which supported providing a reasoned pathway for future legalization. 
Both Obduski and Iowa County Supervisor Stacy Walker, who served as a member of the joint Biden-Bernie Sanders Criminal Justice Task Force, argue that the current federal laws disproportionately affect black people. I'm imploring all of you to approach this with an open mind and heart. Do something big here, Walker said. Take one small but meaningful step toward changing our future or changing the course of the history. If my black life matters to you, you will consider this amendment. We want to get in good trouble today. I urge you to do the right thing and support it. I can't believe that they voted not to do that. That would be like guaranteed re-election if Trump came up and said, uh, you know what? They don't want to, the Democrats don't want to, they don't want to legalize marijuana because it's making them too much money to have it illegal. I'm the greatest president. I'm the most patriotic president in the world. Your favorite president. And I, I will legalize marijuana. I will do it because I'm the best. I'm the greatest. And he could actually EO that out as well, because that's how they got DACA through, was an EO, uh, EO saying that we're not going to enforce federal law. So they could do it. Like I said, that would be re-election number one. That would probably guarantee a re-election if he did that. And then, of course, the, the Democrats would come out and tell you exactly how racist marijuana really is. So that's what's happening there. Let's get rid of this HuffPo thing before it taints my computer. All right. And I've got an opinion piece, which we're going to go into much, much more depth on Monday for. From CNN, you get two choices for president. That's it. An analysis opinion piece from Zachary B. Wolf. There's been a lot of news, but I want to focus today on an argument made by Maryland Governor Larry Hogan that I think is worth exploring for its complete and total wrongness. Hogan is a pretty remarkable politician, a Republican popular in a blue state. He has not been afraid to call it the Trump administration. He's got a new book about his fight with cancer. And in it, he describes Trump administration cabinet members. He doesn't say which one. Suggesting he should run against President Trump this year. He considered it, but didn't ultimately. But what I want to address here is how Hogan is treating the questions of whether he'll support Trump this fall. He's done variations in, on, of this in a few interviews, including with CNN's Jake Tapper on Sunday. The idea is true. A lot of Democrats who supported other people in their primaries probably aren't too excited about Joe Biden. And a lot of Americans are probably concerned that Democrats are moving too far left, even as they're frightened by Trump. But Hogan went a bit further in the interview with a conservative radio host, Hugh Hewitt. I mean, there are other choices. I didn't make the choice between Hillary and Donald Trump the first time. I did a write-in for my dad, who I had a lot of respect for and who we could probably touch on with your Nixon background there. But, you know, it's not black or white decision. Technically speaking, he's correct. You can write someone in or pick one of the other presidential candidates who will likely appear on your ballot. Green Party has Howie Hawkins. The Libertarians have Joe Jorgensen. Neither one of them is going to be president. But he's also totally wrong, and this is where Hogan veers into political speak. Silliness. Your 2020 vote is entirely black and white decision. If you support Trump, he needs your help. A series of CNN Battleground State polls out this weekend show that President is trailing in three states he won in 2016, including Florida, which no successful Republican presidential candidate has lost in 96 years. Since Calvin Coolidge. If you don't support Trump, you'd better vote that way because he's on the ballot, and despite these polls, you might end up with four more years of him. That's about as binary a decision as it's possible to have. 
Barring unforeseen calamity, either Donald Trump or Joe Biden will take the oath of office on January 20th at noon. It will not be Larry Hogan's father, who died in 1975. The subtext of Hogan, a Republican not vocally supporting Trump, is that he opposes Trump but doesn't want to turn off all Republicans who do. Hogan has this luxury since he's the governor of a state that will almost certainly cast its electoral votes for Biden, and he'll be reminding everyone of that if he runs for president in 2024. But the effect of Hogan's words is the idea that it doesn't matter which candidate wins and that another group option is worth considering. It's time for other options. The electoral system that's grown up around us was during primary season. There are plenty of people arguing the U.S. electoral system needs to change. Those aren't going to happen before November 3rd. It is a fact of American life that the two parties have held a death grip on the White House since the Civil War, and they'll keep it unless the entire system has changed. The parties have beaten back populists, progressives, socialists, Dixiecrats, and independents. They've humbled Teddy Roosevelt, Eugene Debs, Strom Thurmond, George Wallace, and Ross Perot. Would-be moderate, independent Howard Schultz's campaign never even formally launched this year. The last non-major party electoral votes were a very long time ago. Despite offering frustrating options, the major parties have only got more dominant. But a Republican or a Democrat has gotten any electoral votes at all in more than 50 years, or nobody but a Republican or a Democrat has gotten any electoral votes at all in more than 50 years since Wallace promising to keep segregation won five southern states in 1968. So, let me point this out to you, Zachary B. Wolf. Nobody has earned my vote this year. Nobody that's running thus far has earned my vote. And I'm leaving the top of the ticket blank. You are not entitled to my vote. Donald Trump is not entitled to my vote. And Joe Biden is not entitled to my vote. Nobody is entitled to my vote. And nobody's entitled to your vote. If you want to write in Andrew Yang for whatever fucking reason you want. If you're bad at math and you want to write in Andrew Yang. That's your business. You vote for whoever you want to. If you want to write in Bernie. That's your business. Do it up. If you want to vote for Jorgensen, absolutely do it up. Nobody's entitled to your vote. I am not going to vote against a person. I stopped doing that this past election. I will vote for whoever earns my vote. And nobody's done so, so far. So, that's what they had to say on that. Let's keep going here. Uh, this was brought to my attention from Midget B over in the Discord. Something that we actually need to be focusing on because there's a lot of money that's tied up into this as well. China warns of new floods as the Three Gorges Dam is under pressure. From Shanghai, Chinese authorities cautioned on Sunday of water-topping warning levels on the Yangtze River as a third wave of flood water is expected at Three Gorges Dam over the next three days. The country is already facing one of its worst floods since 1998, with water breaching record levels at key waterways and lakes. The inflow of the Three Gorges Dam on the upstream Yangtze River may reach a 60,000 cubic meters per second on Tuesday. The Ministry of Water Resources said in a statement, Water at the Yangtze River will midstream will rise again and exceed its limit by 0.2 meters. The ministry also warned of a huge flood, both east and west of the city of Yisheng in Hubei province where the dam is located. 
the estimated inflow tracked the 61,000 cubic meters per second recorded on July 20th, which raised the dam's water level to a record high of 164.2 meters. Completed in 2006, the Three Gorge Dam began receiving flood water on July 2nd at 53,000 cubic meters per second, raising the water level to 149 meters. The maximum level is 175 meters. Floods have already displaced 46 million people in 27 of the country's 31 provinces since heavy rainfalls began in June, leaving 141 people dead or missing, with economic losses of 160, 116 billion won, about 17 billion U.S. dollars, according to the Ministry of Emergency Management. Videos posted on Sunday by residents of the city of Enshi in Hubei showed main roads inundated with raging currents that swept away vehicles and properties. This followed earlier floods and landslides on July 17th. The central government urged greater efforts to mitigate floods. Efforts should be made to increase flood discharge on the Huai River, reduce the water level at Hongzhi Lake, and prepare for heavy rains, said Yi Jinping, Minister of Water Resources, on Sunday. Nomura, in a research note on Monday, projected a 0.2 percentage point drop of a third quarter economic growth and a higher inflation rate in July and August. So. If this damn bust, this is going to have a massive, massive effect on the Chinese economy, which is in turn going to have a massive effect on us, and nobody's talking about this. I'm actually kind of glad that Mitch B brought this up here so we could actually pay attention to this here, and we will be uh, continuing to pay attention to this because for the most part, the American people are not going to get the chance to prepare. They're not going to be able to sell off their Chinese stocks before their market crashes or collapses or at least goes into a recession. And they're going to wind up getting screwed right before an election. Because, yeah, this could, if this busts, it's going to happen right before the election. This could be the October surprise. I still think it's going to be Ginsburg, but this could be the October surprise as well. So we're going to pay attention to this and keep watching it to see if anything happens out of this. Thank you, Midget B, for letting us know that that happened. And the last one that we have here from CBS News. Gold prices hit an all-time high, and it's a bit of a mystery why. Really, it's a mystery why gold prices are up right now. Nobody nobody knows? No, nobody in the chat, do you guys know why gold is up right now? Nobody knows? Nobody out there that's watching this later that's going to put something in the comments? Nobody knows why gold is up right now? Well, let's see what Stephen Gandel has to say. The price of gold surged to an all-time high on Monday. Some experts pointed to the worsening of the U.S.-China China trade and political tensions. Others cited growing investor concerns that an economic recovery from the coronavirus pandemic might be weakening in the U.S. and elsewhere. But the jump in gold prices is highly unusual because stock prices have also surged recently after dropping in early March as coronavirus began to spread in the U.S. Gold is usually seen as a safe haven when stocks are falling or when inflation is rising. Neither of those two things are happening right now. <clears throat> Bullshit! Inflation isn't rising. Fuck you! It is... We just printed off $2 trillion for a coronavirus relief package, and you're going to tell me that inflation is not rising. Fuck you. Nonetheless, gold spiked uh, $40.60 to a record $1938.10 per ounce, in a sign that nervous investors were looking for safe havens to park their money. When adjusted for inflation, gold prices were actually higher in September 2011. Prices peaked back then before later losing a third of their value by December 2013. To hit an inflation-adjusted high, 
Gold would have to rise another 10% or $200 to $21.35. Stock markets around the world have regained most of this year's losses, but forecasters warned that the stock rebound might have been too big too early as virus cases, or virus case numbers rather, rise in the U.S. and some other economies. And the jump in gold prices seem to suggest that some investors agree with those negative forecasts and are seeking ports in the storm to park their money. All right. I'm going to let you guys in on a little bit of a secret right now. The last time we had Joe Biden in the White House, or in the Naval Observatory, but in the executive branch, we had an economic recovery, recovery, but it averaged about 2% of GDP per year. Barack Obama was the first president to never have a year of 3% GDP growth in his entire term. His entire administration never have a full year of this. Meanwhile, reparations, health care for all, Medicare for all, job guarantees, and UBI are all being talked about right now, which are going to blow out the spending immensely. And the Democrats have signaled that they are going to do anything that they can do to win and implement this agenda. Which means that if they win, inflation is going to be on the rise and people should be buying this stuff early if they are actually going to buy it. You don't know why gold is hitting an all-time lie. You are an idiot if you don't know why gold is at an all-time high because there's so much reason. That's not just touching. That's not even touching what we just talked about over in China. That's not even touching any of that. So, no. It is no mystery why gold is sitting up there right now. It is not one mystery at all. Beware fool's gold. No. And what's the worst thing that happens? It's just like Tim Pool said with stocking up on food at the beginning of the coronavirus. Hey, if nothing happens out of this, well, then I just have a bunch of tacos and taco nights. And it'll be a really cool taco night for everybody. That's the same thing with this. If nothing happens out of the economy, or if Trump gets reelected and the economy continues to grow, and we come out of this hydroxy or uh, this coronavirus thing pretty much unscathed, hey, then you've got some pretty cool gold in your uh, portfolio that you can turn around and sell, and put other things in there as well. So, yeah, it's a good hedge on things, and we don't know what's going to happen in the next six months. And I'm very afraid of some of the things that could happen in the next six months. So, no, there's a reason that gold is up right now. And I suggest that all of you get at least some of it into your uh, portfolio. All right, and that is going to be it for the day on news here. But I got to think real quick now on air about something that I am thankful for. I mean, there are a few things as, that I could think about. I am thankful. Here's what I'm thankful for. In my city, in my county... We talked on Monday about the cabal of all the businesses coming together and making their own mask mandates because the state government can no longer do so. The state government is pretty much neutered at this point. If Evers tried to do, tries to do something from a mandatory or an executive order, they're going to sue him again in the Supreme Court, and the legislature isn't going to pass anything because Evers is never going to sign it. 
So my state is going through a little bit of an experiment in federalism right now. Like I said, the cabal happened where all the businesses came together and said, you are going to wear the mask and you're going to like it if you're going to come into the store. Which for the most part, I have been complying if I need to go there. I've been cutting my store visits down quite a bit, but if I need to go to the store, I have been complying. But because it's the businesses coming to do so and I can choose not to do business with them, I can do businesses or do business rather in more places that don't require it. The quick trip stores do not require masks for entry. And I just spent more money than I've ever spent in a quick trip last night. Because they do carry some of the groceries that I use. And the meat market that's around the corner from here also doesn't have a mask requirement. It is, the mask thing has pushed me into a more of a local business thing than I've been doing before. More of a small business, mom and pop local business thing. And I'm thankful for the fact that my state government is in a state of flux right now, to the fact that we can actually decide to give our business to whoever we want to give it to, and I can give my business to the small local store instead of going to the giant corporation like Festival Foods or Ace Hardware or Walmart, for that matter, even though I don't go there for other reasons. So yes, that's what I'm thankful for. The state of flux in my government and the state of tension that's in there that keeps them from passing frankly, unconstitutional laws that force, force the way that I do my hand. And when I went to my mom and dad's, I went around Dane County because they have a countywide mask mandate, and I didn't want to accidentally spend tax money and give tax money to the county of Dane. So I went all the way around because, nope, not going to give them my money. And that is going to be it for the day here. So we will be back here tomorrow with more contemporary. Hopefully I'll be a little bit more awake, but that'll be because I didn't stay up until 11.30 midnight playing video games for you guys. And I won't be so mush mouth at the end, but make sure you come and catch up with us tomorrow. And tonight I'll be catching up with the audio platform. So expect to see some episodes pop up in your podcatcher if you do choose to witness the show in its audio form. So until tomorrow then, I am Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.